I'm Pat Harker, president of the University of Delaware. You're listening to WVUD Newark, the voice of the University of Delaware. You're listening to 91.3 FM WVUD and WVUD HD1 Newark. WVUD and UD Information Technologies present Campus Voices, conversations with University of Delaware faculty, staff, and students about their teaching, research, service projects, and other interests. To introduce today's guest, here's your host, Richard Gordon, manager of the IT Communication Group at the University of Delaware. Thank you very much, Jason. And joining me in the studio this morning is Judy Provencal, the resident astronomer at the Mount Cuba Observatory and a faculty member here at the university and the Department of Physics and Astronomy. I think it's wonderful to have you in here with us, particularly coming on the heels of Stardate. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I'm glad to be here. Um, back as a little kid, you used to be interested in the sky, didn't you? I don't remember not ever being interested in what's up in the sky. I mean, my parents bought me a telescope when I was about six, and I'd take it outside in the snow in Maine and look up at Jupiter and the moon. And the sky was a lot darker when I was younger then, but... I just always remember. I love that. I still have that telescope. It's in my closet in my house. You still have your your, your childhood telescope? Yes. Yes. Wow. (laughs) I took it apart a few times when I was a kid, but I got it back together mostly so it works. (laughs) So now your curiosity has led you from standing out in in Maine, looking up at the sky, to becoming the resident astronomer at Mount Cuba. Yes. And you're also the director of the Whole Earth Telescope Project. Yes. Where is Mount Cuba? Mount Cuba is in, well, officially it's in Wilmington, I think, but it's in Greenville, Delaware. It's right on the reservoir. Out, It takes about 20 minutes, 25 minutes, depending on traffic, to get there from the university. And are there things that the public can do to get involved? Um, every other Monday night, they have public night. And usually they have some speaker. Sometimes it's a person from the university, like myself and Stan, Hawa- Stan Awaki and Harry Shipman gives talks out at the out at the observatory. Sometimes it's a, what they call a technical associate that's at the observatory. Those are amateur astronomers that are involved. Um, and there's also the Delaware Astronomical Society. They uh, have, usually on Friday nights, they'll have somebody out at the observatory. So if you just want to show up and look through the telescope, there'll be somebody there. But the official thing is every Monday night, every other Monday night, is public night. And I think you've got a planetarium. And yes. We just got a new, di- well, it's a couple of years now, but a digital planetarium. It's very nice. Um, so if it's cloudy, you can still pretend. You go down in the planetarium and you can pretend it's clear. And you can actually go anywhere on the planet to see what the sky looks like. What kind of telescopes do you have out at Mount Cuba? Um, there's a big, well, not so big nowadays, but it's a called it's a 24-inch telescope, which means the mirror is about two feet in diameter. And when you compare that to something like the Hubble Space Telescope or the telescopes out in Hawaii, it's actually pretty small. But it's the biggest telescope in Delaware. <laughs> so, <laughs> and we also have a couple smaller telescopes. So there's a total of four that are you well, actually five if you count the Delaware Astronomical Society telescope that are that's used out there. So and these are. All in a big dome, or some of them the, the kind the that you 20, roll out into the lawn? or Yeah, the 24 inches in its own dome, and then there's a, another telescope that has its own dome. But the two other ones you have to drag outside 
which is quite interesting when I have my students out there for my class because it's in the dome. You have to get it out through the door, and there's a lip over the door. So you have to pick the telescope up to get it out. And the way it's made, it's just sitting on the mount. It's not screwed to the mount. And sometimes the students forget to pick it, and it all tips, and that can be fun. (laughs) I try not to look when they do that. So when you teach your UD observational astronomy class at Mount Cuba, it sounds like your students do more than just look through an eyepiece or at a oh no 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 yeah we 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 have a, a what's called a, a CCD camera. It's like a digital camera, but it's a little bit more fancier, a little bit more sensitive than the one you have in your phone. And we put it on the telescope and we use it to take pictures of things like distant galaxies and nebula star form star formation regions things like that and so they use the te- the 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 computer and the telescope for that and the, i actually the first couple times when it's clear and we go outside i help them a lot more than than i would at the end of the semester because i try to get them to be able to do things themselves and i just give them a list of targets and they go off and find the target all by themselves and it's kind of nice when they get to that point they can find stuff on their own now, when we talked a couple of weeks ago, we were talking about how taking observations at someplace like Mount Cuba or mm-hmm. some of the observatories you travel to around the world, it's different than just going out into the backyard with binoculars or your childhood telescope yeah. and just looking up at the sky because of these of the digital devices that you attach to the camera. Yes. I mean, excuse me, to the telescope. <laughs> well, I was just reading... Um, a minute ago, before I came here, about the Gemini meteor shower that's happening. I think it's tonight is the good night, good time to go look at it. If you want to do that, the best thing to do is just go outside and lay down on the ground. Don't use anything. And then you'll see all the meteors. There's supposed to be like 60 a, a, an hour or something like that. But if you want to look at a distant galaxy, then you need a big mirror or a lens to collect enough light to see it. So it depends on what you want to look at. The moon is gorgeous through any telescope. You can see the craters and the shadows, and you can see rocks and things like that on the surface of the moon. And right now, Jupiter is up, too, and that's very nice through a small telescope. But you were telling me that, I mean, the the equipment that you can attach to the telescopes gathers so much more light. Oh, yes. When you when you go outside with just your eyes and you look up at the sky, your your eye registers one out of every hundred photons that fall on it. With my fancy camera that I have out at the observatory, it registers 90 out of 100 wow. of the photons. And then plus you've got the bigger eye, the bigger lens collecting more light. So that's, that gives you a really nice image. You can see much fainter things. And you can get different kinds of data, I imagine, based on the different filters that you put on? Yes, because the camera that I have is actually not a color camera. It just records all the photons falling on it. So if I want to take a color picture of something, I have to put a filter in front of it. So I let the red light through and take one picture. And then you let the blue light through, you take another picture. And then you let the the green light through and take a third picture. And then you go with the computer later and you combine those all together to make a color picture. And that's some of the stuff that you teach your students. Yes, and... actually, they're working on it right now. The deadline for, their, to, for them to turn in their final exams <laughs> is at 3 o'clock today. And I'm sure they're all frantically working on making their color images right now. Well, you're awfully nice. I mean, my students have until 9.30 today to get their finals in. 9.30? Uh-oh. <laughs> if, if you should be listening to a repeat of this show, we are, rec- we are live on the air today on December 13th, 2012. 
Um, but who knows when you might be listening yes. to it. <laughs> so in the future, students, don't panic. You might not be your final exam due today. <laughs> <laughs> what are some of the things that, that you, some of the specific tasks you've had your students do in this observational astronomy class? Um, last was it last year? I'm getting old. I don't remember. Time kind of flows differently when you get older. I think it was last year we observed what's called a supernova. And that's a star that has blown itself to bits. The sun will never do this. The sun's not big enough. But some of the more bigger stars like Betelgeuse, which is in Orion. So if you want to see a star that might blow itself up right now, you can go look out tonight around 10 o'clock and you'll see the constellation Orion. And that red star in the corner is Betelgeuse. And maybe someday it's going to blow itself up and be a supernova. But anyway, we observed this one of these supernova in a distant galaxy called the um, Pinwheel Galaxy. And so I think you can find that picture online if you want to go look. But you, that was kind of exciting. It, ha- it was like a week after it happened. So it was really a nice bright thing. And you could use the brightness to compare to earlier images and see how the supernova had changed over time. You say, do you have the image, what, up the Mount Cuba website? Um, it, I think it's on the university website, if you can look. I don't think it's on the Mount Cuba website yet. Okay. They're a little slow sometimes at Mount Cuba. Okay, well, we do have a, a page about your visit to us yeah. here up at uh, the Campus Voices website, which is www.udl.edu slash campusvoices. And if our listeners would go there and look for the episode entitled Look at the Sky, mm-hmm. they'll find <laughs> links to all sorts of different things, including some of the pictures that you and some of your students have taken. Um, what do you have them do on cloudy days? <laughs> that's the that's the time when we take the, the images that we've recorded on clear nights and use the computer to do all the, the calibrations and and to combine them together to end up with the final image. Because even a picture that you see on the television from like Hubble, you know, the pretty pictures with all the colors, that's not the way it comes off the telescope. That's finish, the finished product. The raw data is noisy and you have to remove all of that the noise and and end up with your final thing. So there's some work that goes between the telescope, the image you see when you're actually using the telescope and the final thing. Now, when we met a couple of weeks ago, I think you mentioned in your fall 2012 section of uh, your observational astronomy class is mapping the Andromeda galaxy. Yes. We didn't quite finish. Um, the Andromeda, sorry, Andromeda galaxy is the closest big galaxy to us. It's actually bigger than the Milky Way. <laughs> and it's about 2.2 million light years away. And it, on the sky, as it appears to us, it's bigger than the moon. It's, it's a good-sized thing. And so when you're trying to, to take an image of the whole object, we have to do it in little pieces. And we ended up doing about five or six different sections, and we probably got about two-thirds of it done, but we didn't finish the whole thing. So that'll be the next project for the spring to continue <laughs> to do that. And hopefully by the end we'll have a nice picture of the whole thing that we can put up somewhere. One of the things I think is remarkable is the sort of the cooperation that's starting to happen between what's well, been happening for centuries by now I mean, with it, between observatories all around the world. Yes. And... Yes. You are the director of something called the Whole the Earth, Earth Telescope, Telescope. Project. Yes. And um, you're also the director of the Delaware Astro Seismology <laughs> Research Center. Yes. With Dark. The, Dark yes, with that. a C. <laughs> <laughs> tell, us, tell us about this Whole Earth Telescope Project. I mean, it, well, 
what it is, how it works. I mean, it's it's been around since the 1980s, I think. Yes, and I was actually there when it first started. It started at the University of Texas, where I was a graduate student. Um, because my research field is pulsating stars, particularly a kind of star called a white dwarf that is a dead star. It's what the sun is going to become probably in about 4 billion years. So we don't have to worry about it today. But in about 4 billion years, the sun is going to run out of fuel and become what's called a white dwarf. Um, but these things pulsate, which means they change their brightness over time. And what we'd like to do um, is to identify all the frequencies that they're pulsating at. The idea is like a bell. If you, know, if you have a bell that's made of a certain metal and you hit it, it makes a certain tone. If you have another bell that's made of a different metal, you hit that, it makes a different tone. So you, by hearing the sound that the bells make, you can figure out what they're made of. So that's what we're doing with the stars. We're listening to the sounds that they're making. Well, they're not really sounds, but anyway. And we are figuring out what they're made of inside. Because when you look at a star like the sun, the only thing you see coming from the sur- you see photons coming from the surface. We don't ever see anything coming from the, the interior directly. And so the only way we know to look at what's going on inside of a star is to look at the pulsations. So it's like looking at the star over time. Yes. And we live on a planet that is rotating, which is very good for us because that means we have day and night. But if you're an astronomer that wants to study a pulsating star, this is a bad thing. The sun comes up every day and kind of interrupts your observations. And so what we do is we we get we gather a whole series of telescopes together. So say I'm observing my star here in Delaware. And by the end of my night, somebody in California can start observing it. And then somebody in Hawaii and then somebody in Asia and somebody in Europe and then back around to me the next day. So that the idea is to continuously observe it. 24 hours a day, and we end up doing that for about a month at a time. And that way, we can really tell what the star is doing, and we can get a better idea of the how it's pulsating, and then we can get a better idea of what's going on inside. Now, when you say, you know, doing this, this observations, it's not like people just looking through telescopes. It's- no, they're taking pictures thousands, every 10 seconds. So you end up with thousands of these things from each telescope every night. And what we do when we're having what's we call it a whole Earth telescope run, and when we have all these telescopes going at the same time, we have all the different observers sending us their data here at the observe at Mount Cuba every night, and we reduce it and we put it up on the website so that everybody can see what's going on. And so you got to imagine when you get a th- thousands of images coming from twenty or thirty telescopes every night, that's a lot. <laughs> that's gigabytes. <laughs> That are, are flying around every night from the different telescopes. I think you told me that the last run was in November of, of 2011. Last year, yes. Our next one's going to be in May of 2013. And you said you had um, data coming in from 100 people at 30 different telescopes. Yeah, we had about 30 telescopes going. They don't all go at the same time because you can't, you can't hog a telescope for a whole month. So you have a telescope that's observing for a week. And then they go away and somebody else comes and starts, you know, takes their place. And so it's a whole switching the telescope back and forth and, and all that kind of stuff is going on. It used to be that when you were doing observations, you'd be off by yourself. Yes. When but I was a graduate student, I spent a lot of time out in the dark, <laughs> in the dome. <laughs> I think you still spent a lot of time in the dark, Judy. <laughs> that could be. <laughs> 
but you, 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 thanks to the technology, you're, yes. you're actually in touch with astronomers. Yes. I remember when the, the first Hubble. Holar telescope run that I took place in, we had a telescope in South Africa. And we tried to call the observers every night back then. You didn't have internet very well. It wasn't very good. So to call this place, I had to call the operator here in the U.S., convince them to call the operator in South Africa, who then had to call the operator in Sutherland, and then had to wake up the observer, the observatory operator. And you could hear the hand crank phone going if you made it that far. This took about 20 minutes to convince all these people to do this. <laughs> and then you would finally get to the observer after all of that. But it was, it was definitely, it's definitely easier now with email. And you said, I think you say you've even had Google Chat open with Yes, we had Google Chat time. open the last time we had. Um, so if you were an observer, say, our observer in Brazil logged on a lot, so we could talk to them from Mount Cuba, and keep them. And, he, and when I was in, I was observing in Hawaii for a short time for that run too. So we did that over Google Chat. Now the whole Earth Telescope project has both observers and theorists in it, doesn't it? Yes, because you have to understand the frequencies that you're getting from these stars. I mean, we end up with a list of numbers of frequencies, and what does that mean? It doesn't mean a whole lot. So you give it to my theorists friends at the University of Texas. And they go off and build a model of the inside of the star and tell you exactly, you know, it's this big, it has this much mass, it has this inside its core, has this kind of a structure in the atmosphere. They, that's where all that comes from. Sounds a little bit like what people do on Earth. Oh, yeah. Studying uh, earthquakes. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's the same idea. Yep. S- sort of star-based seismology. Mm-hmm. That's asteroseismology. <laughs> the astero means star. Thank you for, for you saying it, not me. <laughs> <laughs> We're chatting with Judy Provencal. We're having a great time. She's the director of the or she's the director of Dark. Yes. And director of the Whole Earth Telescope Project and the resident astronomer at the Mount Cuba Observatory. And if that's not enough, she also <laughs> is a faculty member here at the University of Delaware in the Department of Physics and Astronomy. Now, big news in your life was mm. in June of 2012. Didn't you get some time on the oh, Hubble Telescope? Hubble Space Telescope, yes. That's a very hard thing to do because everybody in the, if you're an astronomer, everybody and their cousin wants time on the Hubble Space Telescope. And so what you do is you write a proposal, and you have to be very succinct about exactly what you want to do and how it's important to astronomy and why you need the Hubble Space Telescope. Because you're talking about a you know, 4 or $5 billion telescope that's up there floating around, and they don't just give time to anybody. So after you go through that whole process, um, you send it off, and they have what's called the Telescope Allocation Committee that reads the thing and decides if it's good enough. And so I got my proposal this time was was accepted, so I was very excited about that. So I got 16 orbits. Here on Earth, if you have a, a, a ground-based telescope, they give you telescope time in terms of nights. When you're on the Hubble, they give you it in terms of orbits because it's once – for the telescope to go around the Earth. How long, how long is about an orbit? About 90 minutes is an orbit. And so I got a total of 16 orbits. Actually, ended up being 18 because I got them to give me a couple extra. But <laughs> So that's, that's kind of exciting. And once you get the time, they don't let a lowly astronomer like me actually touch the telescope. It's not like a ground-based telescope where you go there and you use it. So you have to go through their process. They have a nice software program that you go through, and you plot out everything that you want to do exactly down to the second. What filter you want to use, exposure times, 
all of the, the acquiring the target and, and all of that fun stuff. You plot all that out to the second and you send that to the Hubble people. And then in a few months or up to a year, I guess, um, you wait, and then you'll get an email from them saying that this visit is being scheduled and you'll have your data at such and such a time. And then you get another email saying, okay, you can go get your data. And so I just got some of it. I don't have all of it yet, but I just got, I've got about half now. Is the Hubble gra- grabbing observable light, ultraviolet, or, they or what's do, it grabbing? They grab all wavelengths, depending on what camera you're using. We're interested in the ultraviolet light which is very high energy photons. And again, you're studying white dwarfs. Yes, yes. And these things, they tend to be a little hot. Because you imagine the, the core of the sun is kind of hot right now. So if the core of the sun gets exposed, which is what a white dwarf is after a star dies, it's pretty hot. So it puts out a lot of energy in, in high energy photons. But depending on what camera you're using, Hubble can do infrared all the way down to infrared wavelengths. But we like the ultraviolet, and we like Hubble especially because ultraviolet light does not get down through our atmosphere. And so for the kind of observations that I wanted, I had to have Hubble data because there's no way to do it from the ground. Because what we were trying to do is determine exactly what the temperatures of these stars are. And for that, we needed to measure what their, what their energy output is. And you can't do that if you, don't, if you can't get the ultraviolet light. So it's not like, you know, you've ridden the shuttle up there and no, put on your No, although I'd go. Suit. If they asked me, I'd go. <laughs> <laughs> but still, you're getting pretty cool data from yeah. outside the um, yeah. atmosphere. It's a lot of fun. When you get that email and it says your data's there, you, you get all nervous. Like, oh, God, what if it messed up? What if it's not there? And you download it, and the first time you look at it, you go, oh, and you don't want to look. And then you look, and it's okay. <laughs> we are on radio, so you couldn't see, but... Judy did cover her eyes when she said that. <laughs> We're chatting with Judy Provencal, obviously an astronomer, and the, the resident astronomer at Mount Cuba. And I think that's fascinating, all the stuff you've been doing with white dwarves and the fact that Hubble is outside the atmosphere gives you all sorts yes. of different opportunities. Yes, we're hoping uh, Hubble lasts for a long time because you know, it, can't, it can't be repaired anymore since the shuttle is retired. But it should last for another 10 years or so at least, I hope. Now, besides the clouds and Earth's atmospheric conditions, there's something else that restricts what we can see from the Earth, isn't there? Mm, what? <laughs> Remember cities. And- oh, yes, that nasty light. <laughs> I don't, yes. And that's what I, I said before when I was younger, when I was a kid, the sky was a lot darker when I was younger. I go home now to Maine, and I used to be able to see the Milky Way from my backyard and now in, in Kittery, where I grew up, they have a lot of outlet malls and things like that now. And so you can't see the Milky Way anymore. So people don't know what the sky looks like. So if you guys out there, if you ever get a chance to go someplace dark, you should go. Because the sky at night in a dark place is amazing. Lots of stuff up there. You can, the Milky Way is a really, it, it glows across the sky and you can see the dark clouds that make up the galaxy and it's just amazing. I think the last time I saw the Milky Way was in about 1999, after Floyd had been through the area. Oh, yeah, and the power was out. For, <laughs> I remember that. I don't know how many days I didn't have any power at my house. Yes, it was much darker. Because <laughs> <laughs> when I go to observatories, like in Chile is the best place to go. Um, cause I observe the same star all night. So once I have the telescope set up, and taking pictures, you know, it's kind of boring, actually. So what I do is I just go outside, and there's a little rock wall 
right against the cliff out there. And I just lay down on the rock wall and look up at the sky because it's just the southern sky especially is really amazing because you can see the center of the Milky Way better here oh, really? from there than you can here. Yeah. The center of the Milky Way, you can see it in the summer from here, but especially from Mount Cuba, it's over Wilmington. So Wilmington, the, sky, the city lights are pretty bright, and so you can't really see it. And when if you go to the southern hemisphere, the center gets up higher above the horizon, and so it's, it's a much better view. You can almost read by the stars in Chile. It's how bright they are. No. Is yeah. they that bright? Yeah. If you go outside for a few minutes and let your eyes get dark adapted, it's pretty bright. Wow. Well, you have obviously traveled all over the place. Japan, Poland, Hawaii, China, Chile. Yeah. The Canary, Canary Islands. Islands. That was my favorite place. They gave you wine with your dinner. Because <laughs> <laughs> they're European, you know. <laughs> So you had wine with your food. <laughs> All right, we, we've got a few minutes left here. Let's get this interview back under control. Uh, yeah, Judy, you're a lot of fun. I think what the last thing we really should talk about here is that even with the light pollution, I mean, just ordinary people yes. can see some fun things oh, at yes. home. I mean, what, what, what are the, what's the basic equipment that they need to look at the sky? <sighs> For things like the meteor shower tonight, you just need your eyes. Just go out, you know. Unfortunately, for meteor showers, the best time to view them is like 2 in the morning. So if you're awake at 2 in the morning, go outside, look towards, I think it's towards the east, and then you will see the meteors from Gemini. Um, If you want to look at the moon, binoculars will work. Um, Even for Jupiter, Binoculars are really nice because if you look at Jupiter with the binoculars, you will see the four little moons, the Galilean moons that Jupiter, that Galileo saw when he first looked through his telescope. Um, and even Saturn, you can see the rings through binoculars. And right now, Jupiter is that bright thing that's up in the eastern sky after the sun sets. It's really it's the brightest thing in the sky right now. Um, if you want to look at Nebula, gas clouds and places where stars are being formed and things like that, you'll need a little telescope. At least a, 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 if, if you buy the one from Walmart, it'll sort of work. There's two good companies called Celestron and Mead. I don't know if I'm allowed to say names, but they make good telescopes. That, and, and people can take those kind of things out in their backyard. And you, they, I mean, you can go buy a telescope. They sell 24-inch telescopes that some amateurs have in their backyards. So it depends on how how much you want to get into it. Again, you just have to point away from the light pollution from the city yes. of Wilmington or, yes. or things like that. Yes. As, and I think, you know, it's even with these little telescopes, you can see some of the things that oh, yeah. got Galileo in mm-hmm. trouble. The moon and Jupiter, yep, definitely for sure. Yeah. And the, there's a little cluster of stars right now. It kind of looks like a little tiny dipper. In the sky, it's called the Pleiades, and that got him in trouble, too, because when you look at that with just your eyes, you see maybe six stars. When you look at it with a little telescope, you see hundreds of stars. And so that messed everybody up because they thought they knew all the stars there were to see in the sky. But when you look at it with a telescope, you see a lot more. And so that that changed how people thought about things. Well, Judy, thank you so much for coming in. You're welcome. I enjoyed it. And we've (laughs) talked today with Judy Provencal the resident astronomer out at the Mount Cuba Observatory. And you can find more information about what Judy's up to 
by going to our website, www.udel.edu slash campusvoices. Don't forget to look at the sky, right, Judy? That's right. Look out there tonight, and you can see Jupiter and the meteor shower. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Thanks for listening to Campus Voices, a collaboration between WVUD, the broadcast voice of the University of Delaware, and UD Information Technologies. The views expressed on this program are those of the individual guests and do not necessarily reflect the official views or policies of WVUD, UD Information Technologies, or the University of Delaware. For more information about Campus Voices and to find archive copies of this and other episodes, visit our website. Using all lowercase letters, go to www.udel.edu slash campusvoices. We invite you to tune in every Thursday morning at 8.30 for Campus Voices on 91.3 FM, WVUD, and WVUD HD1, Newark, or online at wvud.org.